Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hi, everyone, and welcome to My Millionaire Money Medical. My name's Devraga, and we've got a special episode. I recently did put out a post about people that may want to share some money wins, can be small, large, anything at all. And the first person that responded was Harry, who said he's well and truly interested in sharing his money journey with us. I just want to encourage people and get people on board to talk about some of the things that they've done that we can all learn from. And after speaking to Harry, some of the things that he's doing, I've learned from as well. Welcome, Harry, to the uh, podcast. Thank you, Zev, and happy to be here. Harry, my understanding is you're from the great city of Melbourne. <laughs> uh, you know, clearly the world's best city, yeah? Absolutely, it is. <laughs> all the all the all the eastern side Sydney siders are getting upset. Um, perhaps just let's start with broadly. Um, tell us about yourself. Um, what do you do for a living? And of course, we want to remain anonymous. Um, Harry is not his real name, and I think it's really helpful that people remain anonymous because you can sort of speak your heart and speak your mind without having to be worrying about what other people think about what you think. So, Harry, tell us about yourself and um, how did you find me? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Dave, pleasure to be on this show. And uh, I'm in my 30s uh, and I work in financial services and I'm also a qualified accountant as well. So, uh, and absolutely, uh, being a Melbourneite, love the food and the coffee. Uh, Melbourne coffee is uh, much better than any other city in Australia, for sure. Uh, Uh, I agree. And uh, yeah, apart from the weather, I think everything is great about Melbourne. But I think... uh, getting used to the weather as well now. So uh, can't complain about it anymore because uh, most of the time, you know, you're stuck at home now, working from home. So uh, that's that's always good. Um, how did I find your podcast? So essentially, uh, obviously with the onset of the pandemic in 2020, uh, I believe sometime in Jan or Feb of 2020, I started, uh, you know, doing some research online on Google, looking at uh, any Australia-based podcast. So I came across a lot of podcasts with a lot of good content, but you know they were quite like technical and confusing and a bit gray and a bit vague as well as what I found. So, uh, I mean, I'm a simple guy, uh, and you know, at work, I like to keep things simple as well, and I'll try to look for simplicity in things. I don't want to make it too complicated. So, when I started listening to your podcast, uh, I found it to be you know very simple, concise. Uh, I think your USP is uh, you address the concepts quite well. So you go deep into the concepts and uh, talk about, uh, you know, how uh, one plus one equals to two, not necessarily one plus one equals to a question mark. So, you know, it's so simple to follow. And uh, I just instantly, uh, you know, clicked when I listened to the first few episodes and I was completely hooked onto it. Uh, There are certain episodes uh, of yours, which I've listened to probably more than five or six times. Uh, one of them, oh, wow. okay. yeah, one of them being the uh, you know the index funds episode as well. So uh, and also debt recycling episode. So those are two of my favorite episodes, uh, which were, I believe uh, the first ten or twenty episodes of yours. One of them. So yeah, basically uh, I started listening in Jan slash Feb twenty twenty and March. I started investing. Believe it or not, I never invested before that. Uh, because uh, every time I thought about the share market uh, or the property, share market was a big uh, question mark in a sense because most of my friends um, around me kept telling me that, oh, it's like a day trading and they kept talking about, uh, you know, buying one share of, you know, like a ANZ bank or a Combank and then, you know, selling that if it goes up or down. So I always found it very, very risky to do that. Uh, but when I found out about index investing, 
that's that was a game changer for me and uh, you know not having to constantly monitor the market looking at yahoo finance all the time you know just keep doing what you do uh, so you know that that definitely was a game changer for me Hmm. Look, I mean, if Australia had a national religion, and it kind of doesn't officially, but if it did, it would be property, mm-hmm. um, because you know it, it's it's something inherently that we expect and take for granted. That um, you know the property market locally has just done so well over the last sort of thirty years or so, and it, it's something that we're all sort of ingrained to believe to follow. And um, culturally, I think people um, you know think in general the share market. It's just too volatile, too risky. Um, so, but property is something that you can see, you can touch, you can feel. Um, you know, for me, when I drive past some of my investment properties, it makes me feel good. It's like that's something that I own. Yep. Uh, I can't drive past an index fund. Um, so, all I get is a figure when I log into my Vanguard account. And ironically, if my index fund is probably worth than my properties, it still doesn't give me that same sense of emotional reaction as owning my own sense of property, um, my own property does. Um, so absolutely spot on there. What's interesting is that you're in the financial services industry. So you're not a financial advisor, you're an Correct. accountant. Is that right? Correct. That's right. So an accountant as in um, a CPA or a CA or... Yeah, I'm a CPA, so I'm a CPA, and uh, so yeah, definitely not a financial advisor. And uh, you know, being surrounded by a lot of friends in the financial services, uh, you know, you tend not to discuss your personal finances a lot because mm. obviously, then you know, you're giving out a lot of information. But uh, what I found is uh, when you speak to friends, uh, you know, just general terms as well, they try to overcomplicate simple things and simple concepts. Uh, so you know that's that's when I thought oh, maybe I should do my own research and uh, start looking at you know what I actually want to do, what are my long-term financial goals, uh, and the main one being generating passive income, uh, which would essentially allow me more flexibility in my career, you know, allow me to enjoy my hobbies uh, and spend more time with the family as well. So essentially, I mean, your plans, like mine, is translate that earned income in terms of time spent to earn that income mm-hmm. um, or, you know, time spent sweating to make that income and convert that into investments that, you know, are unearned income. In other words, time not spent earning the yep. same amount of income. Um, and that's that's sort of something that, I'm, that I've done and I'm trying to do and will continue to do in the future as well. Just at the risk of going on a tangent, um, can you briefly explain to people, um, and most of my listeners are healthcare workers mm-hmm. who have their own accountants, mm-hmm. can you briefly explain to them what the main differences are between a CPA and a CA? Because I think that often gets confused between the two professions. Sure. If you could explain that, and then obviously we could get on with the main substance, which is about money wins. Absolutely. Uh, so I guess main difference between CPA and CA is... Uh, CA are a bit more technical accountants, so they are into the you know auditing firms and uh, those sort of areas. So very very technical focused, and uh, you know they love their numbers. Uh, and th- I'm just generalizing again. Uh, you know I don't want to be uh, sure. you know pointing fingers at any profession as such. But uh, a CPA on the other side, what I found out is, uh, and with my experience so far is CPAs are a bit more uh, business-oriented. They're a bit business-focused. They work uh, with a lot of uh, non-financial stakeholders within the business, and that's something which I do at my work as well. Uh, how do I basically speak to someone who doesn't understand anything about accounting? How can I actually explain them the concepts in simple terms? Uh, a bit more rounded as well, I believe. Uh, less technical, but more aware of uh, what's going on and a lot more focused on the soft skills as well uh, is what I find CPAs are. So there are a lot of uh, firms uh, for the accountants, if uh, you may call them uh, as a you know public practice accountant, so do your tax returns, they may be a CA or a CPA, but uh, at a general level uh, in workplace and in businesses, you would find that uh, CPAs are a bit more rounded uh, with some more soft skills as well, but that's a very high level general uh, call out really. Right. So does that mean that to become a, a CA or a CPA, do you have to do one or the other and then switch over or can you just directly be a CPA or directly be a CA? Yeah. So 
Absolutely, you have to do one of the other. So uh, there are certain units you need to pass to be a CPA and a CA. I believe there's a uh, there's a way you can switch between being a CPA and a CA as well, but you need to apply to be one. And then you need to, I guess from a CPA, if you want to change to a CA, you need to have certain years of experience. And then you need to get a couple of references from an existing CA. And then you just get the CA qualification. So once you are a CA right. or a CPA, it's very easy to switch over to any. Okay. Yeah. And I assume they sort of require some level of university training prior to yeah, becoming exactly a right. professional CPA or CA. Yeah. Correct. So there are some prerequisites. So you need to do uh, certain economics, finance, and uh, tax subjects as well. So those are some prerequisites you need to do in either your bachelor's or your master's. So once you've done that, then the next step is uh, you can do the core six or seven units for becoming a CPA or a CA as well. Yep. Oh, fantastic. Well, that's that's interesting because I think a lot of people, myself included, don't really understand the differences between the two. So let's talk about financial independence. And you did mention about converting your earned income to unearned income. Are you on track? Or if not, what's your sort of future goals about that? Sure, absolutely. So I think that's a great question. And uh, I read somewhere ages ago, and there's something my father always told me is make your money work when you're actually sleeping, when you're not doing anything. And uh, I always used to think about it, you know, how how is that actually possible? And uh, during when the pandemic started, I started thinking about different ways I could be doing it, like tapping into my hobbies or, you know, teaching someone a skill somewhere and, you know, making some extra cash out of it. Uh, but obviously, that involves a lot of time and effort. So, you know, I started doing uh, index funds and ETFs and those sort of things. Uh, so far, I'm not investing a lot, I would say, in ETFs. Uh, I've, I know, you know, you vouch for the 20% and that's where I want to be at. And so far, I think I am on track, but I would like to invest a bit more into, uh, you know, ETFs and index funds, probably like 30, 40%. I basically want to go hard in the next few years uh, as much as possible, even if I can touch, say, 40% for a few years. And then that way, you know, I can build up the wealth quicker and then slow down uh, to probably, say, 20% after that as well. So, yeah. yeah. Mm. Is that because you've got other competing interests? Like, are you sort of saving for a home or you know, saving for a holiday or a car or something? Yeah, that's correct. So, yeah, saving for a home currently and uh, looking to move into a better suburb with a better school as well. So that's that's something which uh, is currently uh, a bit, bit of a question mark for me. So that's the reason I haven't been investing a lot. But uh, I think once that home happens, uh, it just gives, it'll probably give me a lot more clarity to then start investing into index funds uh, because... I did a lot of research on that as well. And property and share growth is pretty much almost the same. Property, I think it outlined, it basically goes slightly better than index funds sometimes, but it's just like a high level estimate anyway. The only good thing about uh, property, I think, which you don't get with index funds is you can essentially buy a property with 20% and then the rest of the money is from the bank. So you're not using your own money but you can essentially generate an income uh, based on the bank's money pretty much. So that's probably the main difference. But uh, yeah, absolutely. Once I get my principal place of residence, I want to uh, start investing much, much more in uh, index funds. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned a couple of things there, Harry. One is schooling. Now, I grew up in Adelaide. Shout out to all the people from Adelaide uh, listening at the moment. And when I was growing up in Adelaide, um, you know, school zones were a thing, but um, it wasn't really like a huge issue. Uh, and I think Adelaide back then in the 90s and 2000s had a pretty good, robust public schooling system. Now, I'm a parent and I have children and schooling in Melbourne is is really different. Um, you know, growing up and, and, and having a family in Melbourne, I've noticed the school zones issue is just a massive, massive deal. It's like your entire life as a parent sort of kind of revolves around, you know, getting into a good school zone. Correct. It's interesting that you mentioned that. Um, and it can be quite stressful. Whereas in Adelaide, like when I was growing up, I don't think my parents spent that much time and effort um, focusing on that critical element of school zones. So, and I think that's relatively true even now in some smaller cities um, uh, like Adelaide or Hobart. I don't know how much of school zones make a big difference, but in Melbourne and Sydney, 
gee wee, I mean, school zones define everything from your kid's ability to, to, to go to that school, the property prices. I mean, I, I know in Melbourne, some suburbs well, on one side of the street might be the school zone and the direct opposite side of the street is not the school zone and it's a 20% difference in the property prices, Absolutely. which I is agree. insane. It's absolutely insane. And then there's actually a website, in um, uh, which I'm sure you're aware of, uh, for all the listeners out there in Melbourne, there's a website about school zones and every time that gets updated, there's massive uproar from the community that own property in those school zones if it affects them adversely. Um, and it's fascinating how when some schools change their boundaries, there's almost like a lottery win. You know, some homes go up in value and other homes go down in value, which is interesting. Um, so that that's a really, really interesting point. And the other thing that you mentioned about was, uh, you know, trying to increase your savings rate to index funds to about sort of, you know, 30 40%. Uh, I assume once you achieve your goal of buying a home in a decent suburb, then essentially you've got more impetus to create that share portfolio or that index fund portfolio. Is that your sort of long-term plan? Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, Dev, you know, I, I have a lot of my friends and colleagues as well, uh, you know, they talk about the school zones. And personally for me, uh, I don't really think that oh, I want the top five or the top 10 school, as long as it's a good locality, uh, you know, there's decent people, decent, decent families living in the suburb, uh, more than happy to go into that suburb. So it might not, it might be number 11. That's absolutely fine for me. Uh, I just don't want to be competing with someone just because, you know, they're sending their children to the top five schools. So for me, it's just the locality and the families which are there in the suburb. That's, that's my main priority. Uh, but I think, what I've also learned is uh, you, all, you need to almost shut down the noise and distraction as well sometimes where, uh, you know, just because someone is doing something, uh, you feel pressured into doing it. So, And that's so important to do as well. Oh, absolutely. I think uh, you, have to, you have to live your life um, as per your wishes rather than uh, watching other people what they do, which leads to the sort of third part of this episode about money wins. Now, I think it's really important to, you know, when people listen to me speak about money and finances, like you said, I talk about core concepts and principles. I specifically avoid talking about specific financial products because I don't want ASIC to ring me up. That's one issue. The second issue is I don't specifically say, you know, go and subscribe to this particular subscription service because it's great, like HelloFresh or something like that. I don't do that because everyone's different. But the reason I focus on concepts and principles is 50 years from now, investing concepts will be the same, saving concepts will be the same, debt reduction will be the same. And those principles, if you listen to my episodes 50 years from now, is going to be exactly the same. But I do realize that there is a gap in some of my episodes where I don't specifically talk about, you know, some of the smaller money wins that perhaps I've had um, and which you're going to share with us. And I think it's important that everyone sort of goes, okay, well, I'm paying myself, I'm investing, I'm indexing, I'm dividend reinvesting, whatever. But let's take a quick break. And when I come back, let's talk about some of the small things in life that can make a big difference in terms of just being smart when it comes to your money. Be right back. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So what are some of the things that you do with your money that has helped you save money? Sure. So I think uh, most importantly, you know, I love sports as well. Uh, that's my other passion. And I take a lot of inspiration for, you know, some great sporting personalities as well. And one thing which I've noticed about them is uh, they're very disciplined in what they do. Uh, most of the times, if they're consistent, then obviously people know about them. Uh, and essentially, again, you know, shutting down the noise and distraction as well. So I guess uh, for the money wins, in, and again, financial terms, there's two ways to look at things. One is a cost saving and one is a cost avoidance. So that's those two concepts which are so important. And then obviously the third pillar is the most important one, which is investing. So, you know, if you invest, that's awesome. But can you find opportunities to actually save money or avoid spending money? And those would indirectly result into you getting, you know, hopefully much money much more money into the offset account and then hopefully reducing your interest on the home loan or potentially saving whatever five ten dollars uh, which would add up over time into investing into uh, property or you know index funds etc i think one example i can give is uh, private health insurance so uh, i know we all have private health insurance most of us uh, we don't want to be paying any excess uh, you know levy during tax time. So uh, one thing which I found out while getting the private insurance back in the day is uh, if your excess is higher, then your premiums are lower. And that's probably a cost avoidance straight away right there. So, you know, if, if say, for instance, you go with a, you know, X, uh, I don't want to name any uh, insurance company, but essentially I found out that if your excess is 750, you might be paying only $100 a month in premium. If your excess is 250, you might be paying 200 or $300 in premium. And you'd need to almost reassess, are you actually going to claim anything in the next few months or is it just for backup? And the other thing which I found out is excess. Are you actually going to use the excesses? Because most of the times you just need a hospital only cover to avoid the tax or the Medicare levy. So those are the two things. Um, the other one is uh, subscription services. So uh, when I mean subscription services, is essentially looking at, uh, you know, all the streaming platforms. Uh, they've got a lot of free trial periods, you know, just figuring out what you want. And then uh, most times, you know, if it's close to a tournament, I would, uh, you know, go for the free subscription for 14, 15 days, watch it, and then that's the end of it. So, uh, you know, looking at the trial period and making sure this is so important that you put a reminder in your calendar when the trial period expires. Uh, if you don't like the service, at least that way you can cancel it. Uh, if not, then you start getting charged for it. And people don't even realize it, uh, that they've been charged for it for months and months. And then suddenly one day they say, hang on, what's this on my uh, credit card statement? The other tip is uh, dryer use. So uh, we try and avoid using the dryer as much as possible, especially when the sun is shining. It's such a simple tip. You just use the clothesline outside and uh, you just save a lot of money and uh, use the electrical appliances when the sun shines as well, because uh, you, know, you can use the solar panels during that time. Um, and I recently discovered, a, obviously, a petrol uh, price app which is very, very handy. I always, uh, you know, I was thinking, oh, that's probably not uh, going to work, but uh, you can actually look at the prices around in your area and then you can see which prices are cheaper. Uh, and then obviously you can go in and fill there. Am I allowed to mention any names here? Or Oh, know? yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I guess the most the most common one that I keep hearing about is a 7-Eleven uh, price fixing app Correct. where you can actually fix your prices. Yes. And uh, I have heard some really, really cheeky ways to pre uh, uh, price fix uh, from areas where you're not around. We won't talk about that because that's sure. not allowed. But um, yep. yeah, go for it. Yeah, mention names. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I use an app called Petrol Spy uh, and then I've used uh, RACV 
uh, in Victoria as well. Uh, I know then there's some specific state government apps in the other states, but uh, RACV Victoria is probably the best uh, to use in Victoria, which is like an online uh, website. If there's no app for it, I don't believe there is. Um, and 7-Eleven, you're absolutely right, Dev. Uh, I checked it out the other day. Surprisingly, it scanned where I was living and I could actually look at all petrol stations within 10 to 15 kilometers of where I was and I could lock the price in. So the beauty of that is I didn't have to drive 15 minutes to get the petrol fill. I could go to my nearest 7-Eleven and still lock the price, which was for that petrol station, which was 15 minutes away from me, which was very, very surprising. I didn't know that was possible. Um, so yeah, that's that's a tip, you know, absolutely get the 7-Eleven app and uh, just compare, you know, if there's anything else close to you on any other apps, don't go to 7-Eleven, but if the 7-Eleven app is cheaper, just lock it in. And I generally found that avoiding weekends uh, to fill the petrol saves you a lot of money as well. Like, especially on a Wednesday or a Thursday, the uh, petrol prices are always cheaper as well. Yeah, it's it's that little bit of planning, isn't it? I mean, I mean, this is the thing, right? I mean, people say to me, you know, Dev, I make heaps of money. Really, is, you know, five bucks here or there going to save me much money in the long term? But really what we're trying to explain to people is it's not the $5 or the $10, it's the habit. It's the behavior. So I always explain to people, um, you know, I have some people in in my extended family who don't use, um, you know, petrol apps, who, who don't really care about spending an extra 50 cents a litre on their petrol. But the way I'd explain it to people that think, oh, you know, that's not going to save me money in the long run is if you're doing it with petrol, you probably are doing it with other things like shopping, holidays. And then you're talking about serious amounts of money that you're leaving on the table that rightfully should belong to you and could be used for better purposes like saving for a house, offsetting or investing. Then all of a sudden, it can very easily, you know, add up to, you know, a few hundred bucks a month. Then you're talking about, you know, $3,600 a year. And if you ask me, well, is $3,600 a year going to help me, you know, build wealth over the long term, it adds up. I think that's what people don't realize that, yeah, five or 10 bucks here or there, but it's five or 10 bucks per petrol uh, filling, plus your Coles or Woolies shopping or Audi shopping, plus your private insurance excess uh, that you're unnecessarily, you know, reducing and therefore you're spending another 100 bucks on that, you know, plus your subscriptions. You know, I know people that have Stan, Netflix, KO, I think is the other one. Here is the sports one, yep. Yeah. So like, what are they doing with so many apps? Um, is it really necessary? Amazon Prime is the another one that people tend to you know, spend money on. But it's not the actual money, is it? It's the behavior. And then what happens is you take that behavior and you apply it across the board and that's where you lose money. And, you know, I, I, I speak to a lot of healthcare workers who are very fortunate enough to make a lot of money. But what they don't understand is the opportunity cost of that five, 10 bucks each time, which translates into, you know, tens of thousands of dollars in their lifetime. Um, and I guess the simple way to explain to these people is, hey, would you give me $20,000 from your bank account and just take the money and put it into the rubbish bin? Would you do that right now? And, you know, 100% of people say, well, that's mad. That's just a silly way. Why would I do that, Dev? You're an idiot. Well, that's kind of what you're doing with all these little things that you're not doing. Your dryer story was interesting. Uh, you you have solar panels, obviously. Yes. Yeah. So we, we don't tend to, in, in, in my house, we have solar panels as well. And generally speaking, particularly in summer, we don't use any appliances. Uh, you know, we try and minimize the use of appliances like dryers and dishwashers and stuff um, after 3 p.m. So we tend to use it between 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. Mm-hmm. And all of our appliances have timers. Uh, again, when the sun turns up to work every single time and you've got solar panels, it would be mad to use a dryer at midnight. Absolutely. Um, it would be mad because remember, I think the feeding tariff uh, when you feed that electricity back to the grid is very low. It's going so down. So it makes sense Correct. for you to yeah. – it's going down. Yeah. I think mine's like I – don't, I, don't, I don't even know what mine is. It's probably seven cents or something. But you using that, you know, dryer at 2 p.m. when the sun is maximally out, you're going to use all of that electricity that they generate to try and minimize your thing. The the other thing, actually, I might just chip in, is watering your garden. So Melbourne's had a very wet winter for everyone listening outside of Melbourne. Um, and 
just by just by turning off our water system in the lawn, I've recently just paid a water bill. I think it's about $250 less just wow. by doing that. So we have not watered our garden very minimally over the last three months because it's been really wet. And that $250, you know, that's a saving for me, which hopefully that I can, you know, take and invest or, you know, you know, maybe even spend it. Uh, that gives me something a little bit more pleasure. It's those little things that make a big difference. And the other thing about private health insurance, just for listeners, is that you mentioned about excess. I think it's important that listeners understand that just because you have a higher excess doesn't mean you get lesser cover. Um, so, in other words, you could have an excess of $750, but if you went to hospital with appendicitis or whatever it is, you would still be covered for appendicitis because that that package is exactly the same. It just means the first 750 bucks comes out of your own pocket. And you mentioned you're in your 30s. So the chances of you and you getting sick and needing private health insurance significantly is going to be less. I assume that's why you have a higher excess. Correct. Absolutely. Yep. And I guess, uh, Dave, the other thing, I mean, there's so many different tips, uh, you know, to save money. And it's kind of like, it doesn't cost you much. You just need to do some research. And then it's as simple as that. So and you're right, you know, people might talk about, oh, why are you talking about $5, $10 here and there, but there's nothing to lose. It's not like, you know, you need to do a lot of uh, hard work or climb Mount Everest just to save that money. Uh, the other thing is obviously a credit card, you know, like rewards cards. I know a lot of my friends, they're like, oh, you know, I've got a rewards card. I'm paying 800 I mean, $800, maybe $500 annual fee on it. And this is what I get. But is it actually worth paying a fee to get stuff? Can you get like a credit card without fees, which has some sort of rewards? It might not be great rewards, but you can still use that credit card without actually paying anything to the credit card company. So, you know, again, you know, those are the little things where you can actually start looking at, you know, what you're saving. And uh, I know balance transfers on credit cards as well. Uh, people do that as well uh, to pay off credit card debts if they have any uh, so, yeah, I mean, I try not to have any uh, personal loans or credit cards, uh, you know, debts as much as possible. So, you know, that's 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 probably the again, easiest way to save money as well. Yeah, look, I tend to agree. Generally, these banks, these credit card companies, they're smarter than us. They've figured it out. They're not going to give you, you know, a point system that's going to be, you know, significantly lucrative for you. Uh, there are some people who leverage that really well and they use it really well. And let me tell you, I did the same. So I used to have uh, an Amex um, credit card, which used to give three points per dollar that you spent. Mm-hmm. Um, and back in the day when uh, when I was in private practice, we earn our money gross and then we would hoard our money for the entire year and only pay taxes the following year. So to give you an example, for 2022 uh, financial year, I would only be liable to pay my taxes in May 2023, which means I basically, you know, have a 10 months uh, advance. Of course, you've got to pay your, you know, BAS statements and all that sort of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you're a CPA, so you know exactly what I'm talking about. So what I used to do is I used to hoard all that money and then use my credit card to pay those taxes. And back then it was called Optus Payment Gateway. I'm not sure if it's still around. Um, and essentially, you know, let's say you've got to pay $100,000 in taxes or whatever it is, that's 300,000 points in one hit. And my credit card back then didn't have any points limits or it was significantly higher. I think it was close to like 300 or 500,000 points that I could accumulate. And it was insanely lucrative because the surcharge I worked out was equivalent, let's say for 100,000, the surcharge might only be a few thousand bucks. So essentially, for a few thousand dollars of surcharge, I'm paying my taxes using my credit card um, and not getting charged any interest because there was a loophole about um, if you paid your taxes with uh, cash advance or whatever, there's you, you got to pay interest on the hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. But if you used a credit card and masked it to pay a bill, then it's interest free because credit cards have a 50-day interest-free or whatever it was back in the day. Essentially, I did that for a few years. So accumulated, you know, hundreds of thousands of points, you know, I think over a million points at one stage. And eventually, uh, the bank sent me a letter saying, hey, Dev, by the way, you can't do this anymore. Mm -hmm. But I think now that particular scheme is basically gone. So there is some sort of, yes, 
points are great if you know how to work those points. And now I don't do that, obviously. Uh, and I was using it for about three or four years like that and basically use the points to upgrade business class, first class, or just buy things around the house. We've gotten um, a couple of TVs, um, Dyson vacuum cleaners. I've actually never bought a vacuum cleaner out of my own money. It was always using point system. So there are some situations where you can leverage that, but you're right. On the whole, these credit card companies, the banks have figured it out. They're smarter than us. So if you're paying 500 bucks to get points in return, you better have a bloody good reason to do that because it's just basically uh, a money waster in my opinion. Absolutely. And also the, uh, you know, the energy comparison websites, you know, we talked about uh, using dryers and solar panels and things like that. That's that's a simple, you know, cost saving slash cost avoidance trick as well. You know, just go to the website and recently in Victoria, they were handing out, uh, you know, some cashback as well. The government was giving cashback offers and, you know, how hard is it? Just put your details in, do the comparison, get some money in the bank and you don't have to do much for it, right? So, uh, you know, those are the sort of things uh, which really, really make a big difference at the end. Did you get your two fifty bucks? I did. I did get my two fifty yeah. bucks. I mean, as well. <laughs> that's, when when they announced that plan, um, and you know, I, I'm not poor by any means. I'm like, is this for real? Is this guy going to just give us two hundred and fifty bucks for free, and we don't have to do anything? All we have to fill a bit of a form, just check the energy prices, and I know that I'm on a good deal anyway for a house energy price. Uh, and we didn't end up switching because the current deal was actually the best deal we had. And we got 250 bucks for it. And that didn't take very long, 10 minutes. That's right. So essentially, you know, my rate of return on my 10 minute time was more than what I make as a doctor. I mean, I'd be mad not to take that deal. It's right. little things like that um, uh, that we have to take advantage of. So um, I don't know, is that deal still around or is it expired? Like, do you know? I am not too sure regarding that deal, but, uh, and, you know, you know, like they, what happens is I read that deal and, you know, I was browsing that website and when I read about it, I thought, you know what, I might forget about it. I might forget to claim it. So I put a reminder on my my phone straight away and how you know I, I could have forgotten about it and never did anything about it so put a reminder on my phone send it to all my mates saying guys FYI you know what's the harm in helping someone out as well but there's also uh, like a energy apps as well like PowerPal and some others as well where you can actually monitor your usage as to you know yep. how much are you spending and you know is the electricity going up or down and I didn't realize this but I had a very small heater at home so when I was working from home and I was the only one at home, uh, you know, my partner, my kids were outside. I used to use that small heater. And when I looked at this uh, power app, as soon as I put that heater on, it was actually consuming more energy than the whole house heater, central heater mm. put together. Mm. And that's when I realized that, hang on, you know, I shouldn't be doing that. I should be using the central heating instead. So those are the little things which really, really, um, you know, help again, saving money. Was was that heater one of those small fan heaters that you put on your feet to keep uh, keep warm? It's actually like a coil heater, uh, just a standard yeah, coil yeah. heater. So uh, yeah, they're, yeah, they're quite expensive. Yeah, they are expensive, and um, I thought that probably they were the most energy efficient based on my research. But apparently, it was still sucking a lot of energy just when you put it on and off. So yeah, yeah, and for the benefit of just one person, I mean that's yeah, the other thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's the other thing. Mm -hmm. um, Insurance, you mentioned about private health insurance. If I can chip in, all insurance should be reviewed every year. Uh, car insurance especially. I think currently the prices have just gone up because of all the cost of living pressures. Uh, home and building contents insurance. There's, you just got to make sure you don't pay that loyalty tax. I'm currently haggling with a particular insurance company uh, to give me a better deal. This is the first year where my haggling has failed. So in other words, they haven't matched my previous year. They've just gone up a little bit more. But basically me ringing them up, they took off 150 bucks uh, in that 10 minute phone call from the yearly premium, but it hasn't gone back. Uh, this is the first year that that's happened to me, and I'm going to have to wear that extra cost. Um, but the only two insurance that I don't muck around with is private health insurance, because generally speaking, if you're switching policies, and I'm on a very old policy, I'm going to get less for it because the original policies that were first released in Australia were very, very good for the um, for the consumer. And the other one is personal insurance, like income protection or life. I don't haggle with those because, you know, there's always going to be some catches uh, and I'm on a very old policy for that. But otherwise, building contents, car insurance, 
landlord insurance, all that sort of stuff, um, is basically money for jam. Absolutely. Yeah, completely agree. And uh, yeah, I was surprised that the other day I got an email from my old insurance, uh, which was like, I think almost 10 or 15 years ago now, where they said that if you come back to us, we'll waive off your waiting period for, you know, immediately, like for all the extras, which was interesting because their pricing was very, very low as compared to my current insurance. So, you know, obviously they, uh, you know, keep sending emails and offers like that uh, all the time. And probably the other thing, um, we talked a lot about cost savings and as far as cost avoidance is concerned, uh, I just unsubscribe to mailing lists. Like, you know, they've got Zara mailing lists where they said, they tell you there's a sale, there's like 80% off one day click frenzy. And, you know, it just makes you spend more and more. So that's probably a cost avoidance tactic where, you can just unsubscribe to those emails. If you really need something, you're going to go in and get it anyway. You don't need someone to email you to tell you, you know, click here or, you know, buy online. You just get sucked into it when you look at those emails. It's fascinating how easy it is to actually buy things that you don't need. And probably the best story that I've ever had, which I'm happy to share here, is that I had a doctor rang me up after they'd gone to the city and they'd gone to, to the city because they wanted to celebrate. I think it was a function. I can't remember what it was. And literally, like, they went to the city, um, went several hours earlier. And for whatever reason, at the end of the day, they'd bought a Mercedes AMG C63S at a cost of like a quarter of a million dollars or something like that. So they <laughs> rang me. I think it was the next day. And, and I'm pretty sure it was a Saturday they rang me. Um, or they contact me. I can't remember exactly which day, but it was a Friday that they bought it. So it must've been Saturday or Sunday because you get the three-day cooling off period, which doesn't include the weekend. So you had till Tuesday or Wednesday the next day. And they said, I can't believe I did that. And I went, yeah, I can't believe you've did that. And I said, well, cancel it. If you don't want it, cancel it. If you can't afford it, cancel it. And they certainly couldn't afford it. And they they said, oh, what about my thousand dollars? you know, they're going to be losing that $1,000 deposit. I'm like, really? Who cares? That's the best $1,000 you're going to lose ever. Um, And, you know, that that goes to show, um, yeah, you know, impulse buying, whether it be Zara or, uh, you know, the movies or popcorn or a brand new bloody car, which Mm. which can happen really, really easily. Yeah. Now, before we wrap things up, Mm -hmm. sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, sorry. I was just saying, uh, I'm lucky that I've got a few friends of mine who are really like tight asses, which is, which really helps (laughs) me as well. So, you know, and uh, one of them actually gets their own popcorn and movies. And uh, when you think about it, right, like you, the popcorn these days at movies isn't as great as what it used to be, you know, several years ago. So if you're getting your own popcorn, you're saving, you know, 10 to $15 straight away there. Uh, Mm. So, Mm. you know, those are the things which, uh, you know, people do, but who cares, you know, the lights are off and you can do whatever you want in the movies. Have you seen uh, the video of LeBron James? Um, uh, for, for those of you who don't know who LeBron James is, I'd be surprised, but he's a famous NBA basketballer, probably one of the greatest. I'm still an MJ fan, um, but he goes to a game and there's a video floating around on Facebook um, and YouTube where he brings his own snacks to watch the NBA game from courtside seats um and this guy is a billionaire the first nba player ever to reach billionaire status while playing the game of basketball brings his own snacks um so you know again these are all principles and behaviors um that we can all sort of aspire to if a billionaire can do it surely i can do it Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Now, last question before we sort of finish up. We've actually gone significantly over time. We, we were sort of planning for 15, 20 minutes. And this is what we were talking about, um, Harry and I, before the recording is that these episodes can go whichever way uh, we wanted. And, and, and I really do thank Harry for his time. Um, if you had to explain to other people, you know, if there's someone said to you, Harry, what could you have done better in your life? Uh, what would your advice be to them or your younger self? Uh, yeah, that, that's a great question, Dave. And I think the uh, main thing is don't think too much because when you think too much, you just waste time. Um, you know, uh, just start doing it. Just start investing. Uh, you know, you can do property investment, obviously, takes a lot of savings, a lot of commitment, a lot of money. Start small, you know, start investing in shares, uh, do index funds, ETFs, uh, Invest as much as possible when you're younger, you know, don't wait for timing the market. Uh, 
you know, I'm currently doing some research in Bitcoin and, I'm, and I think I'm guilty of timing the market in a sense because for Bitcoin, I'm not sure whether I want to go forward or not. So I'm thinking, oh, it'll drop more, it'll drop more. So uh, don't do that. If you want to get something, just go for it. And uh, yeah, initially when you're young, try and save as much as possible and just invest it because then if you do that, you might be able to, you know, retire early if you want and have that flexibility as well. Yeah, look, savings rate. I mean, I've done an episode on this savings rate versus investment returns. And I was actually quite surprised in my research that your savings rate determines more and is more valuable and more important than your investment returns. But in reality, a lot of people focus on their investment returns. So, you know, how many times have you heard Harry, you know, Dev or Harry, uh, I started investing in January and the market's now the lowest it's ever been over the last sort of, you know, seven months or whatever it is. I mean, how many times have I heard that every day I get messages on Facebook and Twitter, mm-hmm. you know, oh my God, everything's going to everything's gonna crash. And that's good news. And that's yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, but, but they're just preoccupied with investment yep. returns, in this case, negative returns of 20%, whatever it is. I say, well, that's that's not really important. I mean, you, I think, I think, I mean, it is important, I guess, in some respect. But what is more important is your ability to save money now, and put more money into the market when it's low, and average your cost down, so that when the market eventually, and it will go up eventually, who knows when, but it will go up. And even if it goes up slightly, all those units and all those um, cheaper units that you bought over the last sort of three or four months. All of a sudden, even if it goes up by one cent or even just ten cents, it just make it just magnifies as that. Mm-hmm. But you know, sometimes I feel my message is getting through to some of my own colleagues. Uh, but sometimes I feel I'm sort of hitting my head against the brick wall. Yeah. Um, and it's just trying to explain that, um, and it's really hard to understand. I mean, I mean, one of the legitimate questions that I get is. You're telling me that the market's going low, there's going to be a recession, inflation's really bad, and you're telling me to invest more of my hard-earned money into that dynamic? And I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what you need to do. And it's very hard to convince people. And that's where the emotion and the behavior and the psychology comes into play. Correct. And I had a question for you, Dev, you know, saying that, and I think uh, some of the concerns which people have and some of them who ask those questions are those who are very close to retirement age where they've invested and then... Uh, if the market goes backwards, then they're potentially losing a lot of their savings very close to the retirement age. So how would you explain to those people where they say that, oh, you know, I'm investing a lot now, but what happens if the market crashes, you know, 50% when I'm going to retire? Would it still go up or would they still make a profit at the end? It depends how much you invest initially. And therein lies the issue is that if you are a nervous investor that doesn't invest enough early on, then you're far more vulnerable to those drops 30 years from now. Okay. So to give you an example, if you have a portfolio worth half a million dollars 30 years from now and it drops by 50%, all of a sudden, you know, half a million becomes quarter of a million, then the income that it generates is now significantly lower. Now, supposing instead of half a million dollars, supposing you had $3 million in retirement portfolio. Now, if it drops 50%, uh, you still got the 1.5 mil that you can potentially live off. Now, you may need to make some sacrifices uh, to, you know, to make a living in the future, just like the person that has to make a sacrifice uh, after having lost quarter of a million dollars in their portfolio. And again, they're not selling everything, so they haven't really lost it, but it's sort of paper loss. But the sacrifices that a person that has to make with a $3 million net worth and that loses 50% versus the sacrifices that have a half a million dollars net worth and loses 50%, dare I say, is significantly different. So the effect of that 50% loss uh, on a half a million dollar portfolio is greater than the effect of that 50% loss uh, on that $3 million portfolio. And you increase that, you make it 5 million, then that effect is even less. Increase it to 10 million, that effect is even less. Because the person that has a high net worth can sacrifice for a year or two of reducing their lifestyle needs. But it's very difficult for the person that doesn't have that net worth to sacrifice more and more because there's only so much you can sacrifice. So you still need to eat. Uh You still need to pay the bills. You still need to pay renting or housing. 
um, which everyone needs to do. There are some fixed expenses that we can't change. So, and to answer your question, yes, there's always that sequence of returns risk in your retirement. And you can only deaden that and make that less impactful if you have a more significant retirement. And to have more significant retirement, guess what you need to do? Start yesterday, plan money in, savings rate and invest. Um, So that would be my way of justifying that um, to try and build a significant nest egg so that a significant portfolio event doesn't absolutely destroy you as it would for a lower net worth individual. Sounds good. And you can't avoid sequence of returns risk. Um, Who knows uh, what's going to happen? There's some crazy things happening around the world, but you know, who knows what's going to happen in the next 10, 20, 30 years time. Um, But I'm an optimist. I think generally humans, you know, tend to do the right thing. Uh, There are some crazy humans out there uh, that want to always do the wrong thing. But the majority of human beings are good people. Majority of human beings are innovators. Uh, Majority of human beings want to make everyone's life better. Uh, And I think in the next 30 years, uh, there will be more um, Elon Musks and Bill Gates and all these innovators and scientists, and there will be more discoveries that will be made. I just don't think humans are going to underperform uh, moving forward into the future. Whether they will, whether we as humans will perform at the same level and extent as we have in the 20th century, that's up for debate because I think we've made some significant uh, health technology, scientific advancements in the last 100 years and whether those significant advancements will continue at the rate in the next 100 years. Now, that I'm not sure about, but I think in the year, you know, 2060, 2070, 2100, I think we as humans will be better off than where we are now. And I think fundamentally, that's what I believe. And historically, that's happened. It's likely to happen. Is it going to be 100%? I don't know. Mm-hmm. That's a great answer. Thank you. Yeah, and, and I seriously hope for your children's sake and my children's sake and everyone's children's sake, uh, I hope the world is a better place uh, in 20, 30 years' time. Um, and I think it will be. Well, what turned out to be a 15, 20-minute recording has now ended up being 50 minutes. Um, and I don't think we've covered anything that's going to identify you. Um, I don't think we've covered anything that's outlandishly controversial. So, Harry, if you're happy, uh, I'll stop recording and this will be the episode. Sounds fair? Sounds fair. Thank you and thanks for having me, Dev. No worries. Well, thank you very much for Harry for joining us on Money Wins for My Millennial Money Medical. And like always, if you're listening to this episode um, and you like it and you want to subscribe to it, obviously do it. Tell your family, friends, everyone about it. Please leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or any podcast platforms that you may be using, but just leave five-star ratings on all of the platforms. That's even better. And the more ratings and reviews you leave, the better it is for the podcast listeners and also other people to you know find this podcast like what Harry said. He just basically just Googled me and that's how we found it. So my name is Dev Raga and thank you very much, Harry, once again. And this is My Millennium Money Medical. And until next time, please make sure you stay safe. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. What was that? 
boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.